I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. After the apocalypse, a pandemic survival story, season three, episode eight, Desecration. Willie parked a hybrid behind the library in a secluded spot screened by trees. She smiled because she had an affinity for libraries. From all the time she used a library as her refuge growing up in the city, libraries were her safe spot her sanctuary. She wanted to look inside. She was drawn to go inside. Even though there wasn't much to be cleared from a locked-up library, it was in her nature. Her job, the job of her crew, was not to reminisce in libraries. It was to systematically clear the residents and commercial buildings to find any survivors and to take inventory of what was still there. Mags and team were imagining a future where these places would be needed and the condition of things was required tactical knowledge to fulfill that vision. They were coloring in the map from the D.C. out. Every trip Willie and her crew made advanced that knowledge and pushed the boundary between the known and the unknown outward. Willie made her way to the front of the brick edifice. Unsurprisingly, the entrance was locked. She could break in the door, but she didn't want to. That would violate the sanctity of the place, and it just felt wrong. Even in these days of chaos, when no one cared about locked doors and broken windows, it would be a violation, a desecration. It would break the seal and leave an obvious opening for others. So instead, she skirted the periphery and found a small window she could jimmy. Many years of old paint needed to be scraped through with her knife before she could unlock the casement without damage and pry it open far enough to get inside. She could imagine the town elders many decades in the past at the proud dedication of this building, like something from one of the old books she read, men in long-tailed suit coats and top hats, a time when new American towns were still flush with civic pride and striving. Willie dropped lightly onto the old carpet, and paused for a full minute to let her eyes adjust and to listen for any movement. As she crouched in the brooding darkness, narrow rows of bookshelves emerged from the gloom like guardians in a royal tomb. 
Willie smiled at the imagery and the way it assured her silent centuries of lost knowledge. She didn't have much time to spend here. She should get on with clearing this town. As much as she would love to, she didn't have time to hang out in an old library. Ignoring for the moment the pressure and responsibility of her role, she stood up and walked between the stacks, lovingly dragging a finger across the spines of the books, pausing now and then to pull a volume from its place, examine the dust cover, leaf through the pages, and gently put it back in its place. The library smelled of old brick, musty paper, and a hint of mildew. She loved that smell. It was, to her, the smell of happiness. No one had been in this library since the apocalypse began. Some underpaid, sad, introverted librarian had locked the door one last time and gone home to die. There would be no more fines or late fees. Willie cleared the old library, made notes, and put a few books and magazines that might be helpful to Mags into her backpack. It was a monument to a different time, a different place, and a different people, as alien to this new world as a statue of Ramses, crumbling defiantly in the desert sand. She left the way she had come, carefully closing the casement window. Like it or not, Willie had a schedule to keep, she was assigned to clear a specific street in this town and then rendezvous with her team. Her team? The concept still seemed odd and out of place. Well, she supposed they were her team. That was strange to think. Willie, the wild city girl, leading a crew. The apocalypse forced people into roles of responsibility, whether they were ready or not. Some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. She remembered from another mildew-smelling book. She'd need to get used to leading a crew, but until the rendezvous this afternoon, she would gladly work alone. Her crew had instructions. They knew the protocol. They didn't need her watching them. And she preferred to work alone. It was just how she was wired. She made her way down the street. She cleared several houses, made notes on the situation and each on her smartphone. There was no cell signal, but the phone was still an easy way to take notes. Brad had built forms for them to fill out and used information from the town directory. Willie verified and added details, address, 
number and type of vehicles, number of corpses, general notes on the conditions and supplies. In the weeks she'd been out here, it had become a familiar pattern. Some houses were charred shells, some had been ransacked, some had raccoons living in them, and many had corpses. Well, not really corpses at this point, more like skeletons, and in some cases, mummies. The dead didn't bother her. To her, they were like autumnal falling leaves. They had their season in the sun and left these dried-out husks when the season changed. Willie slid through these remnants of the apocalypse with ease. Even the feral dogs and cats didn't notice her. She moved like a ghost, silent and invisible. It wasn't a bad gig. She got to spend time outside, and it was sometimes a bit like a treasure hunt. You never knew what was going to turn up next. She had found several interesting and useful things for the D.C. and herself. There were some strange things for sure. Skeletons clutching wads of cash. Cars and trucks smashed through stores. Skeletons hanging from the light fixtures. And all sorts of varied and stupefying signs of chaos that the last living humans wrought before expiring. A last gasp of almost comedic larceny and random destruction. She also caught glimpses of normal life among the echoes of humanity now and then, like the time she rounded a corner only to come face to face with a great Dane carrying a human femur. He had looked at her and began to wag his tail expectantly, as if it had finally found a new friend to play fetch. The apocalypse was partly haunted house and partly fun house. It was like something out of a crazy cartoon. The truth of the apocalypse was stranger than all the fiction she had ever read at the library. She worked her way through a handful of houses, an apartment block, and a gas station with a convenience store that was badly looted. Now she moved on to her last real challenge, the hotel. It was a mid-level hotel, four floors of tan stucco and cement wrapped around an interior courtyard. Willie had never stayed in a hotel. She knew nothing about the life of the traveling businessman. It was a foreign land to her, terra incognita. But this building was in her assigned grid today, and she needed to clear it. Willie watched the hotel from cover for a good ten minutes. The front entrance was quiet. Nothing moved. It looked like the glass door was cracked in a jar. She had a feeling about this place. It was a kind of place that would attract survivors. She needed to be careful. Haste wasn't rewarded in the apocalypse. She slid silently along a wall behind the boxwood hedge, stopping to peek cautiously in windows as she moved. 
There was a taxi with a bag of bones crumpled in the driver's seat, lightly crashed into a pillar at the entrance. She paused and considered the scene. The taxi had knocked over the combination trash can cigarette sand bowl that sat outside the front door for anxious smokers. The dirty sand spread across the bricks. There were scuff marks in front of the cracked, slightly open door. Someone had been through here, but not lately, she thought. Still... She hesitated. She should find another way in. This was too exposed. Willie crouched by the entrance and weighed her options. All the other doors were secured, and breaking in would cause too much noise. She needed to clear the building, but wondered if it was worth the risk. After some deliberation, she decided it was. This was the kind of place where she could find important stuff for the growing community back at the D.C., and that was her job. She pulled a Sig Sauer P-238 that Mags had given her from the holster under her arm and pushed the safety off. She held it ready with her finger alongside the trigger guard and took a deep breath, Low and quick and silent, she dashed to the door, squeezed through, and immediately slid into cover behind the reception counter. She listened and counted to a hundred, breathing through her nose, focusing on calm, willing her heart to beat quietly. Nothing. As her eyes adjusted to the interior gloom, Details began to emerge. The reception area was littered with trash. The snack area had been torn up. Empty bottles and cans lay strewn about with bits of broken cooler glass. Time to move deeper into the living spaces. Willie made her way carefully through the lobby, past the empty bar with its silent big-screen TVs. Bottles were knocked over onto the floor. The place was a mess. There was a telltale pile of clothes with hair and bone slumped in the booth. The people who died here didn't die without a fuss. One last round of shots for the dying Willie Lomax, shoe salesman from Topeka, a fig to thee, O oh death. The swimming pool was a murky shade of brown and smelled of chlorine and death. Willie pulled her scarf over her mouth and nose. The hot tub was nasty. Had someone decided to die in the hot tub, she didn't want to know and kept moving. Most of the doors to the rooms were locked on the first and second floors. Willie tried the handles. She wondered if there was some sort of master key or manual release now that the electric door locks no longer worked. Or would these doors stay locked forever? No more easy swipe of a key card and the accepting click. They would stay locked for now. She didn't have time or tools to break into dozens of rooms. 
They weren't all closed and locked. Some rooms had the doors propped open. They were disheveled and empty or had the remains of the dead on the beds, on the floors, and sometimes in the bathrooms slumped next to toilets. The virus didn't care where those travelers finally came to rest, but it made sure they would never get home. The first two floors of the hotel were quiet. She holstered her cig, made her notes, and moved on. As she eased open the stairwell door to the third floor, Willie thought she heard a noise. She froze and listened. There it was again, something small, probably an animal. It was amazing how fast the raccoons and rats found their way inside the abandoned buildings. This was their world now, the world of carrion pickers and wild animals. Humans were an artifact, an echo of something extinct in the spaces they had engineered. Willie moved along the dim corridor towards an open door with the stealth of a feral cat. She paused at the doorframe, crouched and alert, and silently pulled a cig from its holster. She flipped the safety, took a long, deep inhale, and held it. Slowly, very slowly, she peered around the corner with a gun held low and ready. There, sitting on a dirty, unmade bed that looked more like a nest than a bed, sat a child. It was a young girl, maybe four or five years old, with dirty rat's nest hair and a stained T-shirt. The child, sensing Willie's presence, raised her eyes to where Willie was crouched in the doorway. A look of sheer terror spread across her dirty little face. Hey, Tasker, come on over here. Let's talk, Harlan said, smiling through the cage wire that separated the two men. Tasker slouched over and gave Harlan a look of displeasure. What do you want? We're both stuck in here. We might as well be friendly-like to pass the time, Harlan said, smiling. Why should I be friendly with you? You come in here like a bunch of thugs, take things over, and start killing my people. Well, I can't argue with that, Harlan said. But that was before I knew you, before I knew the situation here. Oh, really? Tasker scoffed. Yes, sir, truly. I can see now why you were in charge. This place needs a real leader, not a commie like that woman. No kidding, that's what I've been saying all along, Tasker agreed. In times like this, people need strong, purposeful men in charge, Harlan continued, eyeing Tasker's response. That's the way it's always been in the history of our great country. Tasker was standing now to his cellmate's level. The rightful leader is guiding the people to the promised land. Heck, Harlan nodded. I'll tell you something, right before those women showed up, I was about to put you back in charge. Now, you're telling tales. I don't believe it for a minute, Tasker said, but clearly enjoyed the thought. 
No, no, I was. We only took over because we didn't know who you were. Once I realized my mistake, I was going to ask you to take the job back. Harlan's voice became serious. John, I love this damn country before it all fell apart. Someone's got to bring us back. Men, John, men like you, you're the right and rightful man for to be in charge of this place. Tasker was nodding in agreement. Yes, the rightful man, he said, and then continued. What about your boss, this king fella? He doesn't sound like a righteous man. On the contrary, Harlan said definitively. You can't believe what you hear. That's just jealous, evil gossip and rumors from weak souls who want to take our good country down the wrong path. What do you mean? Tasker asked. The king is smiting the enemies of God like King David from the Old Testament. That's why they call him the king, in fact. He's fighting for the soul of the country. How does that justify all the killing and robbing? Tasker frowned. Harlan worried that he may have overplayed his hand. He pulled his face in against the cage and locked eyes with Tasker. John, you know these are the end times, right? Now is the time for strong men, leaders, to make difficult choices. The Lord is coming. Hard times are here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to brave the fire and trust that the Lord would deliver them. We need to brave our own trial of fire and clear a path for the righteous. Tasker's shoulders dropped, and he said in a low voice, I knew I should have been stronger. And then to Harlan, there will always be martyrs on the true path. Harlan seized the moment. Don't let their sacrifice be wasted. The Lord is talking to you. It's not too late. You need to accept the gift. When we get out of here, I can help you. If you let me help you, now's the time to make things right. Tasker, doe-eyed and worn out, looked beseechingly at Harlan. Can you help me make amends? I'm ready to take up the yoke. Harlan put his hand on the wire mesh and smiled. Of course, a new day is coming, but first we got to get out of here and take care of that bitch. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome, my survivor friends. For those of you traveling through the temporal rift that is podcast listening, it is the end of November 2022. And we are just rolling out of Thanksgiving week here in the U.S. And I took some time off from my real job over the holiday week. But I managed to put together this episode. We managed to get it written and edited across those weeks. And this week I'm going to leave you with some things that I've watched, some content that I've consumed over the last few weeks that you may be interested in. And I will do my best to post these links in this post up on my new website at oldmanapocalypse.com. The first was an old movie that I believe I've seen before that someone was talking about on our Facebook page. It's called Damnation Alley from 1977, and it is based on a Hugo Award-winning novella from Roger Zelazny. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Zelazny, novella of the same name, and I found it on YouTube. So you can watch this on YouTube. It's a nuclear apocalypse. It stars Jan Michael Vincent and George Pappard. And they are these guys who are stationed in a remote missile silo. They launch the missiles. Then there's a big nuclear war. And they got to deal with that. So they hang out for a while. Then they jump in a fancy assault vehicle called the Landmaster to drive across what's left of the United States. And, as they say comedy ensues. So it has some interesting plot points, but it does not hold up well. (laughs) The special effects are cringeworthy. One funny story is that apparently this movie was being filmed at the same time on the same set, like the same um, area as the original Star Wars movie, on the same lot. And the producers kept taking money away from Damnation Alley and giving it to Lucasfilms to do the special effects in the first Star Wars movie. So they blamed that on the sort of poor quality of this film. You can go watch that if you want. It's free on YouTube. It's interesting. The next thing I watched was a series called Cyberpunk Edge Runners that I found on Netflix. It's a 10-episode animated series about cyberpunk future and you can see the trailer and see if you're interested and it's based on a video game called cyberpunk edge runner 2077 and it's really fun it's really good i liked it i mean it's super violent sex drugs rock and roll and you can clearly see the influence of early cyberpunk novels like snow crash and i I think Neil Stevenson was somehow involved in this. I couldn't find that, but I think I remember reading that. So, yeah, it was good. I liked it. So watch that. And I did make a pleasant discovery while I was watching it. All these things sort of come together, right? You consume enough content and and you start making links. So they have different music for each episode, sort of of the punk genre. Um, and I was, as I was watching one, I could swear I recognized that voice. And it was Tim Armstrong from Rancid, one of my favorite punk bands. And so I did some 
looking around, and it, what, he's not on there anywhere. There's no Tim Armstrong credit on there, but I, I could swear it was his voice. So I found the song, and I did some Googling, and I found out it actually it was Tim Armstrong, but the band was Rat Boy, and Tim was working with, the, with Rat Boy at his record label, Hellcat Records, and contributed some vocals. So there you go. I discovered a new artist that I like, Rat Boy, which was pretty cool. Sounds a lot like Rancid. And then the next moving right along, the next one I uh, moved on to, which was to sort of keep filling in my apocalypse canon, uh, was the novella by Harlan Ellison called A Boy and His Dog. This is a classic apocalypse science fiction story. It's a novella. And it's often referenced when people talk about the apocalypse. And I had never read it, so I said, okay, I'm going to go find it. And you know what? I struggled to find a print copy of this novella because it was never a standalone work. And you can only really find it as part of compilations. However, after some digging around in the Internet, I was able to find a scanned PDF of the story taken from a compilation that I could download to my Kindle. Now, the novella is a very short work. It takes maybe an hour to read, but it has some really fascinating concepts in it. And this is what I really love about science fiction short stories is they have like a couple of really solid ideas that make you think and keep you thinking. You keep coming back to that over the next couple of weeks, right? And the first really interesting idea here, (laughs) there's my Boston accent for you. The first interesting idea here is that our protagonist is wandering around the the apocalypse with one thing on his mind, how to get laid. (laughs) Which, you know, you may think it's kind of creepy, but it's also very humanizing. It's very real. Uh, And the second thing that is interesting in this novel is that the dog that he has, the dog in question, is a telepathic dog. And I won't spoil it for you, but it's definitely worth a read if you can find it. And you can see why it was so influential in the genre. So then, you know, you got to be a completist. So then I watched the 1975 movie adaptation, which is also on YouTube. And you know what? It was much better than I expected. I watched the trailer and I'm like, oh, this is going to be terrible. But the boy in A Boy and His Dog, the movie, is played by a young Don Johnson of Miami Vice fame which is frankly awesome. <laughs> the The sets and the costumes and the settings are very Mad Max. So if you like that Mad Max universe, that type of universe, you'd get a kick out of this and it's worth a watch. And they try to camp it up too much, but they do stick to the novella almost word for word until the last line, which they added some dialogue at the very last line in the movie, to make sure that we all get the joke. And reportedly, this made Harlan Ellison really mad. He liked the whole movie up to the last bit where they uh, changed it around a little bit. Now, he also wrote a prequel and sequel stories for this, which I have not read, but they're out there. And you can buy this set of three-in-one book, but I think it's it may be out of publish. It may be out of, um, out of circulation. So good luck with that. That's a good one. And I think it would be a great movie. And it would benefit from a Quentin Tarantino or a Robert Rodriguez remake. They'd do a good job with this. And I'll give you my my next uh, music tie-in. Watching the credits, 
I recognized the name. There's another musical link there. One of the contributors to the soundtrack was none other than Raymond Zarek, the keyboard player for The Doors. And this would have been, you know, just a couple of years after Jim Morrison died. So there you go. Now the tie-in. And finally, the thing I watched, finally, is that there is a third season of Love, Death, and Robots on Netflix. Uh, Nine new episodes. Really good. Way better than suffering through a Hallmark Christmas movie. So there you have it. A handful of apocalyptic content for you to indulge in. And I appreciate the music connections. Music is intertwined with that, uh, the unreal nature of reality. I get a kick out of seeing those harmonics in life. And as always, my friends, I would appreciate your support either on Patreon or the new ACAST subscription option. We've got well over 250 people in our Facebook group now. Come over and join us. Lots of crazy people there. And remember, when you ask to join the group, answer the challenge questions. And this lets me know whether or not you're a robot, or at least a spam bot. And I'll try to put all these links in the show notes. I will attempt to post this article with all its attending links up on the new website. Uh, Stay warm, stay safe, and keep surviving. on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.